Three teens from Brownstown, Indiana, were enjoying a Friday evening in a makeshift cabin they'd built on the edge of a large field. The cabin was their weekend hangout and was outfitted with a heater and a lantern so they could see at night. One fateful evening in December, the trio were camping out in the cabin as usual when a massive fire erupted. Tragically, two of the teens lost their lives in the blaze, but one of the teens fled the scene of the crime never to be seen again. The case remains unsolved. Before we get too far into this case, I need to mention that the research for this case was done by a Redditor known as the Bones of Autumn. We've obviously covered several of her cases before, but I won't be reading this one verbatim like I have in the past. But if you want to read her original write-up about this case, I'll leave the link in the description so you can check it out. 19-year-old Jerry Autry had been attending Brownstown Central High School in Indiana. He'd been in a long-term relationship with his girlfriend, and everything was going well for them. By all means, his life seemed to be very well put together, as he was also very popular in school and was one of the star players on the school football team. Jerry and his girlfriend had been wandering around town looking for something to do late one Friday evening. They'd heard about a party that was taking place at their friend Stan's house, and another friend, Mike, was going to the party as well. The three met up at the party late into the evening. They spent some time there before Jerry needed to leave to get his girlfriend home on time. As he left, he agreed to meet up with Stan and Mike later on in the evening. Little did he know that what was supposed to be a fun-filled night out would soon turn into one of the strangest unsolved mysteries in Indiana state history. Eventually, Jerry showed up at Stan's house. His parents owned a large farm that was located just outside of Brownstown. And once he arrived, he met up with Stan and Mike in a makeshift cabin that the group had built together just a few months before. To call this place a cabin, though, would be a bit of an exaggeration. It really wasn't anything more than a teenage playhouse or just a hangout. It had been built with old wood that was discarded from a nearby railroad, and the roof was made out of spare sheets of metal that had been lying around on the farm. The cabin had just one entrance and no working windows. However, inside of the cabin, the boys had installed a fully functional wood-burning stove to keep them warm during the winter months. There was obviously no electrical system installed, so they relied solely on the heat and the light from the fire, as well as the light from a Coleman lantern one of the boys had brought along. This may seem a bit strange or curious at first, but keep in mind this was back in 1971. So this was really all you needed to have a good time. No one was concerned with charging their cell phones or maintaining an internet connection or anything like that, because that stuff just didn't exist yet. On the night in question, December 17, 1971, Stan's sister, Gerda, was having a reception for her wedding that had taken place earlier that day. At some point late into the night, Stan had the idea to go to his sister's reception and get snacks for them to enjoy throughout the rest of the night. They showed up to the reception and spoke with Stan's sister for a short while before she agreed to let the boys have all of the leftover food. They loaded the food into Stan's Mustang and headed back to the cabin at around 2.30 a.m. At this point, it was a dark and gloomy night, but the boys were intent that they were going to hang out in the cabin, even though it was blistering cold that evening. As soon as they got back, Jerry realized that he'd left his contact case at home. 
If they planned on spending the night in the cabin, he'd need his case so that he could remove his contacts before going to bed. Jerry and Mike loaded up in Mike's car and headed to Ewing, Indiana to get the case and come back to the cabin. Once they returned, they parked Jerry's car at the entrance of the cabin with the headlights facing inside so that they could have some better light than what was just coming from the dimly lit Coleman lantern. While this lantern may have seemed like a good idea at the time, Police who were investigating the case later on believed that this lantern may have led to the unsolved disappearance of one of the boys, as well as the tragic and mysterious case of the two others. The following morning, at around 8.30 a.m., Gerda headed toward the cabin to wake up the boys so that they could start their day together. However, as she approached the cabin, she realized that something was terribly wrong. The cabin that the boys had spent so much of their time in was destroyed and nothing but a pile of ash and sheet metal remained. All three of the boys were strangely nowhere to be found and they were quickly assumed to be missing. She ran back to tell her family and they called the police and the police arrived within minutes. When officers got there, they informed the family that the worst possible scenario had taken place. The cabin had burnt down while the teens were still inside. Police believed that the teens had left the wood-burning stove running throughout the night, and it eventually overheated, causing the boys to lose oxygen in their sleep from the smoke, then lose their lives in the fire that would have broken out shortly thereafter. Officers also believe that the Coleman lantern that was in the cabin, as well as a jug of gasoline, would have served as fuel as well, securing the fate of the teens. This was only a theory, though, and the unsolved case of these three teens would quickly become a cold case that would remain unexplained for more than 50 years. Police began to sort through the rubble and eventually found bones that would have belonged to the teens. But this is where the case found a twist ending. There was a major problem. They only found enough bones to account for two of the teens. Near the bones, they also found two class rings. One of them was quickly confirmed to have belonged to Jerry. Though, interestingly, Jerry's girlfriend and friends said that he wasn't wearing his ring on the night of the fire. Though this could be easily explained if you assume that he may have taken the ring off and placed it in his pocket, but we don't know this for sure. This is just an assumption on my part, and truthfully, how Jerry's ring ended up in the cabin remains unexplained. The other ring was believed to belong to Stan, but this was never confirmed. The ring had been badly burned in the fire and was almost unrecognizable. Even a local jeweler couldn't confirm without a doubt that the ring belonged to Stan. All he could confirm was that the ring looked shockingly similar to the one that Stan would have worn. Whether this was his ring without a doubt remains unknown and unsolved. With this in mind, we can now almost conclusively determine that both Jerry and Stan had been inside the cabin when it burned down. So where was Mike? Police would also soon announce that the fire in the cabin had burned so incredibly hot that the two young men were essentially cremated in their sleep. Several of their bones had been burned to the point that there was nothing left. This led some people to theorize that Mike could have also been in the cabin that night, but there was just simply nothing left of it. However, police and several other investigators confirmed that there was no possibility that Mike was in the cabin that evening. If Mike had been in the cabin, they would have certainly found some sort of remains of him. Thus, at this point, Mike was labeled as a suspect in the case. Obviously, Mike was immediately reported as a missing person. Several of the investigators believed that he may have escaped the fire and made his way to a nearby river that ran close to the property. 
However, when a thorough search of the surrounding area was conducted, he was nowhere to be found. What they did find was a thick comforter that had been partially burned. They also found a pack of cigarettes near the edge of the property, as well as several freshly burned cigarette butts. Near the remnants of the cabin, they also found several other unusual clues. For one, they noticed that Jerry's car had been moved from its original location. Instead of being parked in front of the cabin, it had now been moved to sit on the side of the cabin. What was interesting about this was that Jerry was a very tall teen, measuring about six feet tall. However, when officers searched his car, they noticed that the driver's seat had been adjusted almost as far forward as it could possibly go, insinuating that someone much shorter must have been driving it. Even more bizarre was that the keys were still in the ignition and it had been left in the on position. But this is where the clues get even more strange. They also found that the oil pan of the car had been broken, meaning that all of the oil from the engine had spilled out onto the ground. From the looks of it, the car had been driving across very rough terrain, possibly a field, and the oil pan had broken as a result. All eyes now turned toward Mike. There had been rumors that Mike had been getting involved in a local scene that dealt with illegal substances. These rumors claimed that a local dealer had gotten upset with Mike after Mike had started to move into his territory. It's possible that the dealer burnt the cabin down with the boys inside, assuming that that would have taken care of Mike. However, with Mike's remains not being found in the cabin, this seems unlikely. This would mean that Mike either escaped or he was never inside the burning cabin in the first place. Some more sinister theories suggest that Mike may have started the fire, either on purpose or by accident. If this is true, he may have fled the scene, resulting in the partially burnt blanket that was found. Then he continued his life elsewhere on the run for fear of what punishment he might have received if police found him. This theory was backed up by several witnesses who reported seeing Mike in the days and months after his disappearance. However, none of these witness reports were ever confirmed, so we don't know if they're true or just another case of mistaken identity. To this day, Mike has never been found. As it stands, I personally see no reason to believe that Mike would have set the fire on purpose. It's possible that he may have overturned the Coleman Lantern, resulting in a fire that very quickly grew out of control. In the panic, he may have fled to try to find help, but by the time he had run away, the entire cabin was engulfed in flames. If he hopped in Jerry's car and floated across the field to try to find help, this would explain what happened to the oil pan. Though in the intense moments surrounding the fire, he may have just bailed and left the property entirely, fearing that he may be pinned for what was essentially just one big accident. The truth is, we really don't know. Mike is still labeled as a missing person, as the local police and courts refuse to reclassify him as deceased, considering there's no evidence that he passed away. Here we are more than 40 years later, and we still have no answers about what happened on that day. In the end, Jerry and Stan were both laid to rest on the same day in the same cemetery. However, Mike's family has never found any form of closure, as their missing loved one remains either missing or on the run. But that's the video for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to hit that like button. If you loved it, maybe consider sharing, subscribing, or clicking that blue join button below to really show your support for the channel. But I've been Ty Knotts. You guys have been lovely, and I'll catch you in the next video.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.